Well, good morning. My name is Madison Campbell, and I am the Connections Pastor here. And I want to do a quick survey of the people who are in the room. For those of you who are online, you can use an emoji figure to raise your hand, but I want to make a pact that no matter how cringeworthy this is, we're going to be honest. I want to know how many of you donned one of these iconic hairstyles over the past few decades, or maybe you dated somebody who did. So first, we have the mop top of our beloved Beatles. How many of you had a mop top? Be honest. Okay, I see a few, a few. That's not a bad example. Some of you may be a little bit more about the 70s and you loved the feathering of Farrah Fawcett. Anyone, anyone wear that? My husband likes Farrah Fawcett a little bit too much, so we're gonna keep going to the next one. Uh, You maybe had the unfortunate unfortunate life of growing up in the 80s, and I am so sorry about this, but you had a mullet. Any, any David Hasselhoff people there? No, I just, I have to say I'm sorry. This was never a good fashion choice, and if you had that, thankfully we are no longer in the 80s. Maybe you grew up in the 90s like me, and you could not resist a boy with some frosted tips. The boy band era, right? Come up, be honest, how many of you had frosted tips? I see some 70-year-olds out there and they're like, oh, I was 50 at that time. It's okay, we forgive you. And now, I don't know how this happened, but I just found out last month that I'm suddenly not cool and I'm old because of this girl right here, Billie Eilish. I don't have a center part and I don't wear mom jeans. But that is the trend right now. So if you have a center part, congratulations, you are young and in vogue. So I know that these are some silly examples of ways that we have really changed ourselves to try to become like the things that we adore, that we try to mimic the things that we really respect or we want to become like them. And I think that while you may not have sported any of these trends, there are probably some that you can look back and say, oh, I did that. See, these are are silly examples, but I think that they reveal something about who we are as humans, and that's that we can worship just about anything. See, I think that you can argue that these trends are actually a secular form of worship. In other words, regardless of whether it's Christian or religious or even spiritual, we as humans will find just about anything to worship. And I think that the scripture makes this point. So this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna dive a little bit deeper into what worship looks like and how it impacts us as humans. So let's start first with defining worship. What is worship? Well, I think it can be defined with two broad terms, praise and pursuit. So what is praise? Well, I think praise is an eruption of celebration, it's our applause, it's something that we talk about, we, we wanna tell about how great something is. It's our adoration, it's our excitement, it's celebration in all forms. Uh, this past week, I had the privilege of seeing Cruella, which I have not seen a movie in a theater in like two years, so that was an experience first and foremost in and of itself. But second of all, this was one of the best movies I have seen in a very long time. If you've not seen it yet, I highly recommend it. But what was so interesting is that as the movie ended, the entire theater just erupted in applause. We naturally want to praise things that we love and that we think are great. It's something that we are completely familiar with and something that we practice all the time. 
But not all praise is worship. We, we praise a child for learning to tie their shoe, but that's a form of encouragement and celebration. It doesn't mean that we're worshiping the child when we say, great job, you did it. But I think when we combine praise with pursuit, that's when we often see worship. So what's pursuit? Well, pursuit is where we, we put our energy and our time and our resources. This is where we put our, our thoughts it's the things that we go after to become more like or, or to further the ends or the goals of whatever that thing is. You and I pursue things all the time, and we're in any sort of relationship, whether platonic or, or even romantic, we, we know what pursuit looks like because any good relationship is a combination of pursuit on both sides. It's something that we understand in our everyday lives. So, if we've defined worship as praise and pursuit, how does it work? Well, this morning I brought a mirror here, and you all should be thankful you're not the Saturday night crew because I definitely blinded some people last night. <laughs> we learn, and I won't be doing that this morning. But when we look at a mirror, no matter what I do, whether I turn it away from you, whether I turn the lights off or put something over it or break it into a million pieces, a mirror is always going to reflect. I, I can't turn off a mirror. No matter how hard I try, nothing about this will ever turn off. It will always reflect the darkness, maybe the cloth I put it over, myself. It will always keep reflecting. And I think we see that this is a part of who we are as humans, as worshipers. We never stop worshiping. No matter how much we may try to turn off our worshiping selves, it's a part of who we are. We were made to worship. I think we see this all the time in Scripture. When the Israelites went with Moses to Mount Sinai and they didn't see him up in the mountain for a while, they turned to worshiping a golden calf. When Solomon married his many wives, even in all of his wisdom, he could not stop worshiping. So he built temples to all of these foreign gods to worship. Even Paul, when he visits Athens, names that there is a shrine to an unknown God because it is a truism of who we are as human beings that we worship. It's not a matter of whether we worship, yeah, of whether we worship, but what we worship. The second thing about this mirror that I think teaches us about what worship is, is that a mirror always reflects. No matter what it's pointed at, it's going to reflect those things. It may reflect into your eyes, it may reflect into my eyes, it may reflect the ceiling, but regardless of where it's directed, it will always reflect back the things that it sees, or it will always reflect back the things that it's directed toward. See, we become like what we worship. Just like a mirror reflects exactly what it is directed toward, we as human beings will become like the things that we worship. But I wanna take that a step further because we don't just become like those things superficially, we actually are transformed by the things that we worship because worship is transformative. If worship is our praise and our pursuit, and, and we as humans are created to worship. It's something that's a part of our nature, like a mirror, and we can't stop doing it. And we become like what we worship, 
How does it transform us? And that's where I wanna dive in this morning into Psalm 115, because I think that that is part of what this Psalm really gets at, is how worship transforms us. So if you would, I wanna give you time to pull out your phone. If you brought a Bible with you, if you're at home and you have a Bible near you, go ahead and grab it, because I think one of the best things that we can do to disciple ourselves in the future is get in our Bibles now. So I wanna give you a moment, if you have a paper Bible, Go somewhere in the middle and you should be pretty close to Psalm 115. If you have a phone and you don't have a Bible app, the YouVersion is a great thing to quickly download right now. It's free. But I think it's so important that when we dive into the scripture, now you might have a better memory than me, but chances are you're probably not gonna remember this in a week or a month or a year. But if you've put notes or if you've highlighted something, it's gonna be a whole lot more useful to you in the future. So will you read along with me as I read aloud Psalm 115, verses 1 through 8. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. I'm going to reread verse 8 for us. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Worship is transformative. We become like what we worship. See, in the time that this psalm was written, idols and icons and shrines and temples were commonplace everywhere in the ancient Near East. It it was abnormal for someone not to have an image or multiple images that they worshipped and looked to. In fact, these ancient Near Eastern people knew something that I think sometimes we have a hard time wrestling with, which which is the things that they, they had images of, which represented fertility or prosperity or wealth or any number of things, they hoped that their worship would transform them into. Whatever these idols represented, they wanted to be like those things. But the problem is those idols were ultimately human-made. See, I think so often we, in the modern day, are a little bit more ashamed to say that we worship things. We try to hide it, or, or we try to think that we can't worship, when the fact of the matter is we're still like a mirror. It's our human nature. It's what we were meant to do. We can't deny the reality of our createdness, which is meant to worship. But the question is, so the question here is not whether we worship, but what or who we worship. So to bring this a little bit here in, in the modern day, what are some of the norms? What are some of the things that our culture may worship? It may not be the God of fertility, but I think there are a lot of things that we praise and pursue that are commonplace here. So what are the things that we praise? Where do we put our adoration and our excitement and our celebration? What are the things that we want people to praise and respect in us? What are the things that we pursue? 
Where are we putting our time and our money and our resources, our energy and our thoughts? What are the things that we are going after and trying to become more like? See, if you're not sure what you praise and pursue, I want to take a look at things that I think we as Americans have shown that we value. Careers, schedules, organization. Did anyone else get caught up in the Marie Kondo storm of 2019? Maybe. Do we praise and pursue a sports team? Success? The American dream? These are all things that that we have said, oh, we want, we want to be like this. We give our praise and our pursuit. We even have people on social media who are called influencers, and their entire job is to tell you what you should be praising and how you should pursue it. That is their whole job. That is the culture that we live in. You see, we are not more evolved or, or away from the way of the ancient Near East and their way of, of praising and pursuing and worshiping, I think we're just more ignorant to the ways that we are transformed or becoming like the things that we worship. We worship consumerism. We can be selfish. We can be wasteful. And we are rarely satisfied with what we have. We worship food. Did you know that the United States is the 12th most obese country in the world? We, we worship entertainment. In the pandemic, we worshiped our televisions 32% more than prior years. And finally, we worship ourselves. If you don't know what Snapchat is, it's a form of social media, and in the United States, it's very popular. <laughs> in fact, every single minute, over two million pictures or moments are sent. Two million every single minute. The average person opens their Snapchat app 30 times a day. We worship ourselves. And if worship is transformative, then what and who we worship is what and who we become. See, the problem with the idols in Psalm 115 was not what they represented. It's that they were not alive. They were made by human hands, and they were not able to give life. They couldn't do anything. This is the same of the norms of our culture today. They promise to give us life. They promise to change everything in our future. But ultimately, they're created by us, and they don't have life in them. So they can't bring us life. They transform us into what they are, which is not alive. But God, what about God? I want you to go back to your Bible. We're going to look at verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 115. I'll give you a moment to turn back there. And I want to see how God is different. What difference does it make when we worship God? I'll read verses 2 and 3. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. If you have a paper Bible or if you're able to make notes, maybe write, but God, next to verses 2 and 3, so that when you come back to this, you have a remembrance of, oh yeah, there's something there. It's going to help disciple you in the future. So what are these verses saying? But God, (laughs) what about him? 
He is holy other. We've seen what secular worship looks like. We've seen the trends that we've taken on. We've seen the ways that people have pursued success and the American dream to all ends. We've seen from verses four through seven that these idols were entirely empty and that they were not alive. But God, God is alive. God is not created by our will. He's not contained. He is not controlled. He is not limited. God is not created. God is wholly other. Now, I want to take a moment right now because I recognize that many of you who are sitting here or maybe listening at home don't disagree with anything I've said. You agree that worship is praise and pursuit, that we do become like the things that we worship. And that's not really your issue. Your issue is that rarely do you feel like praising God. In fact, me just naming the attributes and characteristics of who God is doesn't really do anything. And, and some of you may be sitting here saying to yourselves, well, I want to praise God, but I, I've rarely and maybe never felt inspired to praise him. Or I'm just sitting here because I'm trying to appease a spouse, or I'm hoping that some person sometime is going to say something that suddenly impacts me and I get excited about praising God. I don't disagree with anything that you've said, but I'm more of the person who's asking, where is God? And I don't feel that praise. I think that's okay. I think every single one of us at some point in time in our lives, and maybe multiple times in our lives, feel like that. And we have seasons where we are uninspired and we don't feel like praising God. And we don't know how to. And everything that we do to try just feels ingenuine. But I want us to think about Crocs. That's right. Do you think that in 2002 that anyone when they encountered Crocs, was singing their praise? I don't think so. <laughs> in fact, I can't imagine the first people who saw Crocs who were like, huh, here's a rubbery, bright colored design and terribly designed shoe that costs way too much money for me to tell everyone around me, I don't care like what I look like. Can you imagine the person who who pitched to marketing, Crocs. Really, they're so comfortable. They're 100% organic. Look at this design, and you can eat them. Nobody was excited about Crocs in 2002, except for maybe the person that made them. But even then, I'm pretty sure that they kind of half hoped that this joke would take root. I, I don't think that anyone loved Crocs, but... There are people who are sitting here in this room and at home who would now sing the praises of Crocs and they will tell you the 101 reasons that Crocs are the best shoe ever. I have a friend who owns over 40 pairs of Crocs right now. This was not something that happened overnight. It took time, it took pursuit for Crocs to take root. But now we have people who love Crocs and who will testify that Crocs are the best. So if worship can be grown 
and it can be formed. My question for you is, do you have a developed sense of awe? Have you taken the time to grow it? Are you doing the things to develop awe in your life? We have a God. There is a God who allows us to know him, who allows us to become more like him. This may not inspire your worship immediately, but just like you can experience Crocs, you can experience and know a living God. But it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight by tomorrow morning. But you can start in that direction today. See, worship is transformative, which means it takes time. And you will see fruit and more fruit over time as you begin to pursue God in the right direction. See, we, as human beings, will always reflect where we direct our worship to the world around us. So what does the world need right now? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't need. Our world doesn't need more transformed worshipers who are successful or transformed worshipers who, who are influencers or wealthy or successful athletes. We don't need more transformed worshipers who are like this world. What the world needs is transformed worshipers who are like Jesus. We become like what or who we worship. God is patient, God is kind, he is loving, he is generous, he is sacrificial. Are we becoming like a God that we worship, who is just, who is for the marginalized and the poor, who reaches out when others draw into themselves, who is oriented to those around him? Are we becoming like a God of the universe who is love and goodness? Are we directing our worship to the one who is good? Our world is broken. I don't need to convince any of us of that because I think we, we encounter that every single day. But it is in need of a living God. And he sent us. The Jews lived counterculturally as an act of worship to a living God who was transforming them into his image and likeness through their worship and through their obedience. The Jews' worship of God was completely countercultural. In everything that they did, their worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob changed who they were. It transformed them, and their lives were different. I love what James K.A. Smith writes in his book, You Are What You Love. I think it helps us understand how Christian worship really is a countercultural thing. This is what he writes. Christian worship, we should recognize, is essentially a counterformation to those rival liturgies we are often immersed in. Cultural practices that covertly capture our loves and longings miscalibrating them, 
orienting us to rival versions of the good life. Christian worship is a counterformation to the world's formation. We become like what we worship. The world needs more transformed worshipers who are like Jesus. But the only way that we will become like him is if we make him the object of our praise. Worship is praise and pursuit, and it transforms us. But what does worship as a Christian look like? We're going to go back to our Bibles one more time to verse 1 of Psalm 115. This is what it says. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Our worship means pursuing God and his purposes. It means aligning ourselves with the kingdom and saying you are in control, not me. It's far more than just an hour on a Sunday morning or hoping that somehow by osmosis we are changed by being around worship. Worship is often a discipline that we have to engage in, but it is always transformative. Worship means putting God above all other things, and it means disciplining ourselves to continually orient ourselves to directing our worship to him. So how do we do this? Maybe you're, you're sitting here saying, yeah, I want to do that. I don't necessarily feel inspired, but I'm ready to go on to the next thing. First, read your Bible. Figure out a book of the Bible and put down that discipline. Put something in your calendar every day. T- photocopy pages and put them on the mirror of your bathroom. Read your Bible. Encounter a living God through what he has given us to read. Listen to stories of transformation. If you've ever heard the way that God has impacted someone's life, it is one of the most transformative things for us to hear. Ask, what has God done in your life? And listen. Even if you're not a singer, say the words of a praise song. You don't have to sing. You don't have to love the sound of the song. But these words are true about who God is regardless of our feelings about what a song is. Thank God for creating the earth that gave you delicious food. Praise him for a sunset. One of the things that I've done to help me develop a sense of awe of God in my life is through an app called Lectio 365. And this app is about 15 minutes a day. I listen to it. And it walks you through scripture and praise and prayer of God. It reframes my every day so that I start with him. I I get my eyes off of myself and I begin to direct my worship to the right place. Maybe it's a gratitude journal for you so that you begin to ask God where he is in your everyday and you begin to recognize him more and more. Worship, just like a mirror, is ours to direct. We can't turn it off, it's always happening, but we do control where we direct this mirror. See, it will happen regardless of whether we're intentional about where it goes or not. So even, even when you don't feel inspired, 
Sometimes you need to put the crock on before you believe in it. What does this look like for you today? Does it mean putting something in your calendar? Does it mean sitting here for an extra minute even after the service is over and just asking God to help you? Does it mean putting something in your calendar and just scheduling it in? Repentance. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but I do know that God is faithful and that when we direct our worship toward him, we become more like him. So will you pray with me as we wrap up this morning that God in his faithfulness will meet us here. Jesus, I thank you that you are here with us. Father, I thank you that you have given us a way of worshiping you. And Lord, I pray that our worship will be transformative, but Father, that we will learn to direct our worship in the right places, which is toward you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We love you in your holy name, I pray. Amen.